0: put a lot of thought and creativity into how we can grow vegetation that is beneficial, but also is compatible with the solar operations.
1: This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Contractor's Corner podcast. This is Kelsey Misprinter, Managing Editor with Solar Power World. And it is kind of blowing my mind that it's already November. Although the year is winding down, the solar news is not. We had a big solar policy decision come down from the California Public Utilities Commission uh, recently where they've unveiled their updated net metering 3.0 proposed decision. That decision did do away with the solar tax that was in the original version that solar advocates were not happy about and worked very hard to eliminate. However, organizations like the California Solar and Storage Association um, are still not happy with the new decision. The CPUC is holding a public hearing on this decision the week of November 14th, and I'm not sure if changes are still able to happen or expected to before the commission adopts the new decision, which has been reportedly expected in December. A lot of solar advocates have devoted a ton of time to bringing their thoughts to the table, sharing the ways that they think that Net metering can be adjusted in a way that serves solar customers and non-solar utility customers. So we will be, of course, continuing to follow that. Another area that is seeing a lot of movement because of the Inflation Reduction Act is solar manufacturing, whether that is panels, racking, even some inverter announcements have come out. And my two colleagues, Billy and Kelly, were actually able to go visit some of these new factories. Kelly went to the ribbon cutting for Hellion in Minnesota, where they are opening a new factory adjacent to their existing. Um, The plans were in place before the IRA passed, but it's one of the first to kind of make this big, bold move in the post-IRA world. So she got to rub elbows with some senators and check out the new the new digs with her own eyes which is really cool. And then Billy got to go to Next Trackers new tracker manufacturing facility in Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. So he got to see the work that goes into making those structures too. So we will continue to cover and keep an eye out for all of the new manufacturing facilities that might come up as a result of the IRA. I know in my beat of inverters, it's kind of a wait and see game to see what the Treasury Department will actually constitute as domestically produced products. So uh, the Treasury is conducting roundtables and was accepting public input on the implementation of all the different provisions through the early November. So we will, of course, be anxiously awaiting more details to come down from the Treasury Department too. All right, and moving right along, our guest this month, we have Alyssa Edwards from Lightsource BP. They are doing utility scale, large projects. Um, Alyssa is in charge of environmental affairs. So she filled us in on all of the innovative ways LightSource is trying to optimize solar projects to be as environmentally friendly as possible. There's a lot of sheep talk, which you might expect, but some other really unique ways LightSource is setting itself apart in that large scale project space. So I hope you enjoy our discussion and thank you again for tuning in this month. Hi everyone, I'm Kelsey Miss Brenner, Managing Editor with Solar Power World Magazine, and I'm here with Alyssa Edwards today. She is the VP of Environmental Affairs and Government Relations for LightSource BP. So welcome to the show, Alyssa. Hi, Kelsey. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. So tell me how you got into solar. You told me before the call that you started in 2020, but what happened to lead you there? Yeah.
0: So, well, it's kind of been a journey. Um, You know, I've always uh, been interested in the environment and climate, I think even before it was really vogue to do so. Um, And I've sort of, you know, set my whole education, you know, I'm 45 now. That was a long time ago, but I've really set my whole education around it. You know, my undergrad is in environmental science. My master's is in environmental economics, and you know, I I always like followed Al Gore back in the day, and I just always saw this as such a, a this, this huge crisis for humanity. Um, it's funny though, because when I graduated from uh, grad school in two thousand five, I remember I have I have an uncle, and he came up to me and he said what are you going to do with that degree? That's like totally worthless. (laughs) And it's just funny because thinking about like the trends and the thinking around 2005 to now has like, has really changed. So, so yeah, so I, I really set my whole education around the environment and climate. Uh, When I got out of grad school, I joined Gamesa Energy, which is a, a wind developer and manufacturer of wind turbines in 2005. Worked there for about five or six years. I moved to EDF Renewables, where I led uh, environmental affairs there for about a decade. And, uh, and then I joined LightSource
1: BP in uh, 2020, right before the pandemic. Okay. Um, can you kind of give me the Cliff's notes on LightSource BP and its relationship with oil and gas company BP? Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. So... Um, So LightSource is uh, a privately held company. Uh, We're a 50-50 JV uh, with BP. Uh, We were formed in 2010 uh, in the UK. So we've been solar developers for for over a decade. And we've really grown to uh, a global leadership position. Uh, We have almost a 1,000 team members across 18 countries, which is pretty amazing. In December 17, this is sort of the evolution of it all, in December 17, BP acquired a 43% uh, ownership position in LightSource. So that's really um, how how we became um, connected with them. And then we rebranded the company to be LightSource BP. And then in uh, two years later, in December 2019, uh, we purchased, or BP purchased additional equity in LightSource BP, and then it became a 50-50 joint venture partner in the business. So that's sort of the evolution of it. Since BP's first investment, you know, our activities, uh, LightSource BP's activities have expanded. We were we used to be in five countries, now we're in 18 countries, uh, including the U.S. In uh, 2021, uh, BP acquired nine gigawatts of solar projects from a company called um, 7X Energy. And we will be taking, we are taking those assets and we are developing them and we are putting them into construction and operation. So, Lightsource has a really interesting history, but um, you know we've grown tremendously uh, over the past decade plus. So it's it's been
1: you know really cool to be on that journey. You wrote a series about the importance of environmental stewardship in yeah. solar development, especially utility scale solar development. Tell me why that's important to you, and yeah. um, about some of Lightsource BP's efforts to be environmental stewards.
0: So I loved writing that piece. I think it really, you know, embodies what LightSource BP stands for um, in terms of how we're sort of reimagining solar and how we're doing solar a bit differently. And I think it really aligns with our ethos. You know, when I joined LightSource in 2020, you know, in the U.S., we were still pretty young, but we knew that we wanted to tell sort of a a different story um, with solar, which is adding on benefits beyond, you know, clean, renewable energy. So sort of the way that we look at solar facilities and the projects that we work on, you know, we sort of start with the vegetation underneath and around the panels. If you've ever been to a solar facility, you know that the footprint is actually extremely light, right? There's all this available land underneath and around the panels where we can really add biodiversity and ecosystem benefit. So we start with large scale vegetation installations underneath and around the arrays. Uh, We work with internal and external experts to curate seed mixes that that are planted and then provide habitat for um, pollinators and other wildlife. That's like our, our standard offering. We do that on every single project. We just put a lot of thought and creativity into how we can grow vegetation that is beneficial, but also is compatible with the solar operations, right? Related to height and fire risk and all these things that you have to, you have to deal with. And then from there, you know, we look to add other benefits, right? So we might, you know, consider um, habitat creation. Um, we might outside the array do, um, we call them high value pollinator gardens. So big, lush, beautiful pollinator gardens that, you know, support pollinator species. We might add other types of habitat that su- supports birds and bats, um, you know, reptiles, things like that. And then from there, we see if we have an opportunity for um, agrivoltaics and agrivoltaics is the combination of solar and agriculture. So uh, we have quite a few projects now in the US that have sheep grazing uh, underneath and around the panels. Um, sheep grazing, you know, also contributes to biodiversity. Um, the sheep waste, the um, the compaction of the soil, um, just the act of grazing itself is incredibly beneficial for for habitat uh, and vegetation. And so, I mean, there's 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 lots of social benefits to that as well because, you know, farmers, local farmers, um, we pay them to essentially manage the land for us, right? So it's kind of like you're paying you know you're paying a team to come out and and mow the area to keep the vegetation at the right height. Well, our, our, the sheep are basically little mowers for us. Um, and it also offers a diversified revenue uh, to farmers in rural areas, which is great. Um, so we love we love that there's a, a biodiversity and a, a social nexus there. You know, we're looking at other types of agrivoltaics as well. We're uh, looking at partnering with, uh, with Department of Energy on some research uh, to grow food crops underneath solar panels. So, um, you know, we always say on my team that the possibilities are endless. It just takes creativity, a lot of thought and a lot of science um, and sort of a willing- willingness to see what kind of, um, you know, multi-use opportunities there are for solar So it's a, it's, it's a pretty fun job that I have to, to sort of come up with these ideas. And, you know, every project is different in terms of, you know, what benefits can be added and, and what makes sense in different eco regions.
1: How do these efforts help with kind of winning over communities that might not be sold on the arrays?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I had mentioned there's a, a really nice um, social nexus, community nexus with integrated agriculture and solar. And, you know, there's there's no question that um, in some areas where we work, there is, you know, increased social resistance. Um, But we do find that when we, for, for all of our projects, we're partnering with the communities. But when we can extend stewardship and operation and care and maintenance of the solar facility with our landowners, with the community, you know, the the support just just grows from there, right? Because it can offer, like I mentioned, a a diversified revenue source. Um, You know, we have a project in Pennsylvania where a neighboring landowner and farmer, you know, he, he and his son bring over five hundred sheep and help us, you know, graze the site in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. And um, you know it, it, the impact to this family's farm and the ability to to keep their farm for for generations to come, and knowing that this they have a place where their sheep can graze because land is a commodity, of course and there's additional payment, you know, it's just been really beneficial for, you know, for farmers in Pennsylvania
1: and other places where we're doing sheep grazing. Great. Tell me about your government relations part of your job. Are you doing (laughs) lobbying at the state and federal level? Yep. So so I really wear two hats
0: at LightSource. I lead uh, environmental affairs. And then, as you mentioned, I also lead um, government relations. So there, you know, we're really... Um, sort of focusing on two areas of work. You know, one is to inform our teams and advise them on emerging um, regulatory and legislative issues. Um, and then the second is, is advocacy, right? So we're doing a lot of advocacy as LightSource BP, you know, at the state and federal level. You know, a great recent example is the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, we partner with um, the Solar Energy Industry Association, otherwise known as SIA and other trades to advance legislation that's, that's, you know, beneficial for the, for the industry. So you know, we're really active in that space. And then, you know, when it, when it comes to state markets, um, you know, there's a lot happening across the landscape in the U.S. With respect to solar and renewable energy in general. So we're very plugged into the um, state legislatures where we're working.
1: Okay. And does LightSource BP have projects in most states or are there certain regions you're concentrating on? So we are in, I think we're
0: in 14 states right now. And I wouldn't say we focus on certain regions. I mean, we're always looking for opportunities in, you know, every state in the U.S. You know, so, some markets are, are just more appealing than others sometimes. And that's related to a lot of different things, including, you know, uh, electricity pricing and availability of transmission and certain legislative conditions in in different states.
1: We'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by American Wire Group. American Wire Group is your single source supplier for wire, cable, and accessory solutions for the power transmission, distribution, substation, solar, wind, and energy storage markets. American Wire Group is empowering a better world Go to buyawg.com for more. That's B U Y A W G.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Scanify. Want to survey more sites per day? Searching for better accuracy? There's nothing more frustrating than showing up on install day and the layout does not fit. Scanify's survey and design platform solves these problems. Scanify, the only drone based solar software, will help you survey three to five times more projects per day while getting perfectly accurate measurements and minimizing roof time. New to drones, contact them on their website and take a free course to become a solar drone pilot today at scanafly.com surveyor-associate-program. Now back to the show. What has been the most rewarding moment of your career so far in solar? Yeah, so um,
0: I guess I sort of think of that, I think of that in two ways. One from a government relations perspective, I I mean, there's no question that when the Inflation um, Reduction Act passed uh, in August, this past August, that was just really incredible moment, I think, for those of us in solar and all of renewable energy and really, you know, anyone who's been following uh, the U.S. Congress and um, our actions on or inactions on climate change. You know, it was—it's the most progressive climate legislation ever passed um, in the U.S. Um, I'm not sure this opportunity is going to come around again. And when I think about, you know, the my wonderful colleagues um, at Lightsource and outside of Lightsource that worked tirelessly, truly, to get that passed—it's—it's um, it's pretty amazing. So that was—that was a big moment, I would say, for me professionally and and also and also personally. You know, from an environmental affairs perspective, you know, I think what, what's what been so rewarding is to um, to get out to uh, solar sites where, you know, we've engaged uh, with community members on agrivoltaics and sheep grazing and seeing how how that relationship just really, really works. And really just sort of from my perspective, knowing, you know, how, how we've worked so hard to build site-specific programming around sheep grazing and agrovoltaics, and and really the first the first project I went to to see sheep grazing uh, in action at a LightSource BP project was in Franklin County Pennsylvania we call it NiITney one it's a uh, a project that we did in partnership with Penn State University and it's just such a gorgeous site the, the mountains and the day I was there it was a clear blue sky and there's 500 sheep you know, managing the land and stewarding the land. And um I just thought this is this is really cool. This is sort of the future of of solar.
1: I guess two things. That sounds very dreamy. I would have liked to see that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, we definitely talked about how all of the projects are pretty unique with your kind of dual use and stewardship lens, but can you point to one specific, unique project that you'd like to highlight?
0: Yeah, so so we do have a project uh, in Indiana. It's called Bellflower Solar. Um, it's in Rush County, Indiana. And we're doing some really, really interesting work there with uh, Department of Energy's Solar Energy Technology Office, uh, and also in partnership with the University of Illinois-Chicago. Um, and it's a research project, uh, multi-year research that is looking at the ecological and economic viability of different types of seed mixes underneath and around the arrays. So we are participating in this project right now. We have several test plots installed at Bellflower, which is it's a whole bunch of different seed mixes that were curated by both you know, the DOE office plus external experts. And it's really interesting over the next two years, this team of researchers will be testing the um, activity around the amount of pollinator species that are attracted to these types of seed mixes. They will also be sort of testing uh, the viability of like very, very specific plants and how they perform or don't perform underneath panels, which is really, really valuable information for the industry. In our case, we're actually going to be sheep grazing on some of those different test plots to see how the vegetation reacts um, and if it does react differently to um, areas that are sheep grazed or not in terms of growth and productivity and things like that. And then they're doing a whole sort of economic piece on it, right? Like, you know, these are, these are great ideas. Um, multi-use solar is just a really emerging space. And as an industry, we just... We, we're we're in need of more economic data, right? Um, and, and understanding of, you know, how we can do sort of large-scale installations um, in an efficient and economically viable way for our projects, right? So um, they'll be doing a whole economic analysis as well. Um, Lightsource is participating with a number of other renewable energy companies. And um, I just think the results are, to be really impactful for the industry. So, so that's been super fun to work on this opportunity uh, for research at Bellflower.
1: What would you say is preventing LightSource from installing more projects?
0: There's nothing really preventing us um, from installing more projects. You know, we've accelerated our pace of development to, to really meet the climate challenge. I mean, I think I think that's just, uh, you know, a necessity right now. You know, we're targeting 25 gigawatts globally by 2025. And, you know, our top challenges, just like really the industry at large, is, you know, transmission access uh, and also uh, community understanding, uh, which includes education around solar. You know, at LightSource, we formed uh, a community relations team, you know, to help to educate communities, but also to be really accepting of feedback from the communities where we work. So um, you know, I wouldn't say. I mean, there's challenges, yes, but I wouldn't say there's anything preventing us, you know, from from helping uh, to mitigate the climate crisis
1: and and installing you know megawatts of solar in the U.S. Okay, that's interesting that you have a group specifically formed to help educate communities. What does that look like in practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's about educating um, communities about Solar installations, for example, you know, what do they look like? You know, how will they be maintained? Do they make any noise? Um, you know, are there, are there any environmental risks? Um, you know, what, what happens with wildlife? I mean, all of those things, you know, stakeholders, community stakeholders are really interested in all of those topics, right? And so we are there to make sure that communities and interested stakeholders have all of the information that they they need, right? because we are long-term members of the community. But I would say that education really goes both ways, right? Because we need to learn from the community what's important to them. And, and you know, often, you know, in this two-way street process, you know, we're learning, okay, maybe, um, you know, we need setbacks from certain areas or maybe, you know, certain communities want to see a certain type of um, landscaping plan or vegetation plan and things like that. So, you know, we, we are listening and, and you know, we're offering as much information as possible about the company and about the project because, you know, we, we will be part of the community for the long term.
1: Um, and my last question, what are some future product trends you're looking forward to? Well, from an environmental
0: perspective, um, you know, because I'm, I'm always thinking about, you know, multi-use solar, I think... You know, an aspect of agrivoltaics that is very much in the R&D phase is food crops. You know, the ability to grow clean, renewable energy and food in the same space to me is extremely exciting. I've learned over the years it sounds a lot easier than it is <laughs> when you are, you know, installing any vegetation, even food crops, under and around the arrays. You know they need to be compatible with the solar facility, and of course they need to have everything required to grow. And obviously, there would be a lot of shading underneath the arrays. So you know, I just think I just think food and 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 clean energy nexus is really exciting. And as I mentioned, we're we're doing a, a trial at one of our projects, and I think that is an area that needs uh, r and d, and I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more of in the coming years as we try to sort of maximize, you know, the land, right? The benefits of the land and create working lands, you know, where, where we're putting solar energy. So I'm, I'm really excited to see the trend with that and to see where it goes and, you know, light source, you know, is already playing a part in that. And I, and I expect us to in the, in the years to come.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for your time. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been another edition of Contractor's Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.